Hello everyone and welcome to episode number 12 of The Display Show. My name is Brian Berkeley and I'm your host for interactive discussions with key display industry leaders and influencers. Today's guest is Paul Gagnon, who is Senior Research Director for Consumer Devices at Omdia. Paul has had a long-term focus on the TV market among many other areas. At Omdia, he leads a team of analysts who study the consumer electronics and digital signage industries. For those who may not already be aware, Omdia's display business grew out of the former Display Search, the original market research firm for displays. Paul actually worked at Display Search for eight and a half years, and we met in the mid-2000s. Display Search was acquired by MPD, then in turn by IHS Market, and then for the last 18 months, it has been part of Omdia. Prior to working for Display Search in Omdia, Paul worked for Hitachi Home Electronics for five years. He has a bachelor's and master's degree in marketing from San Diego State University. In our conversation, Paul and I talked about what's important to the consumer, explaining the benefits of different technologies to consumers, the premium market and migration of features to the mainstream, the unexpected boom in the display industry, and that in terms of the display industry, recent past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Please don't forget to subscribe and hit the bell for notification when new episodes are released. Now, on with the show. Paul, thanks for joining us and welcome to The Display Show. Thanks. Good to be here, Brian. Great. Uh, you know, first, we should start with Omdia. Uh, would you like to say a few words about what your company does and the services it offers? Yeah, so Omdia is a relatively new research brand. Uh, we are part of the Informa Group, and in, specifically in the Informa Tech division within the Informa Group. Uh, Informa is a large company that does media, research, events, about 10,000 people worldwide based out of London. Uh, Omdia is a group of 400 analysts, give or take, uh, that run uh, lots of different areas of research from my group, which is focused on uh, com consumer electronics and pro-AV applications within a larger group that also does displays and semiconductors research. Uh, but Omdia does research in media, service provider, automotive, uh, enterprise IT, cybersecurity, AI, all kinds of different areas. Uh, so our group is focused specifically on, on consumer electronics and display applications like Pro-AV. Ah, where do you guys source your information? Our primary method of research is to actually go out and survey the device makers themselves directly. Uh, that's been our prototypical uh, methodology that we've used for many, many years. So on a quarterly basis, we're reaching out to the major global CE companies um, to collect their shipment data, try to parse that by features, technology, geography, et cetera. Um, and then we also do a lot of research within the supply chain, talking to uh, OEMs, component manufacturers, display manufacturers, so we can kind of triangulate the results behind the scenes. Ah, well, I noted in the preview that you especially have expertise in uh, consumer displays and signage. And, and in fact, you just mentioned that here. So we'll get into some detail on those uh, shortly. Uh, but I want to go back to your presentation at the SID 2021 business conference. Um, one of your first slides stated, uh, from doom and gloom to boom and zoom. And uh, so what did you mean by that? Well, at the beginning of 2020, when you know the pandemic hit, I, I think there's very few people worldwide who kind of knew what to expect. And 
you know, the initial view from, you know, our, our analysts as well as from industry contacts as well was, you know, wow, this is going to lead, uh, lead to, to a big decline in demand for a lot of products as people kind of hunker down and, and, and take on that bunker mentality. Um, and it was true initially. Uh, and of course, places like China in February of 2020, where, you know, the entire country shut down, manufacturing shut down, you know, really had a, a, a dramatic impact on that, you know, outlook at the beginning of the year. Um, but what ended up happening, and, and it's partly the result of, you know, governments like the U.S. providing a lot of stimulus investment, um, but also the fact that, you know, consumers, while locked down at home, didn't have a lot of things to do besides, you know, watch TV or try to work from home or learn from home, really found that they needed to upgrade their devices. And at the same time, they weren't able to spend money on things like restaurants and vacations or, you know, business travel and, and that sort of thing. So we actually saw this big boom, <laughs> you know, it coincided with the Zoom trend of you know <laughs> video conferencing, so that's where that phrasing comes from. But um, what we really saw was that as the year went on, particularly uh, mid-year and through into the fourth quarter, and actually even into the early part of 2021, um, was that demand for a lot of products like TVs and uh, PCs and desktop monitors, um, game consoles, streaming devices were all very, very strong. Well, so... As we focus on consumer, our viewers are going to be interested in your view on the hot technology trends in TV. Uh, among all of these different trends, there's 8K resolution, there's wide color gamut, uh, mini LED backlights, there's, there's new OLED products, in, including uh, we're hearing about upcoming uh, QD OLED, uh, and there's different names for this. Which of the advanced features do you feel are going to be the most significant for the next generation of TV? Uh, and uh, which of these do you think will have the most rapid adoption into mainstream TV? I think that last point is one of the most important points because, you know, you can have the best technology. It doesn't always mean that it is what gets adopted. Um, you look at LCD and, you know, LCD dominates the market. Although OLED, we've seen a lot of strong growth in the last 12 months or so around OLED products. But, you know, in that kind of rarefied air of, of very premium TV technologies, you know, mini LED is very attractive. It overcomes some of those substantial disadvantages as compared to an emissive technology like OLED uh, in terms of, you know, uh, dynamic brightness, uh, you know, contrast ratios, the removal of things like you know haloing effects, that sort of thing. So it's really an impressive display technology. And there's others out there like you know dual cell LCD that kind of try to do the same sort of thing. Um, they're all great. Um, my point of view is that you know for for any display technology in the TV market to see widespread adoption outside of just a, an early adopter segment. Um, it needs to get below that $1,000 price barrier. And that's, that's a critical one, um, historically speaking. And technologies that aren't able to, to migrate down to that price point really struggle in the long run. Um, so looking at the next you know, 12 to 24 months, then uh, mini LED, uh, you know, quantum dot uh, 
QLED, uh, you know, however the, the terminology works out, all have very attractive uh, market opportunities. But you look at something like OLED, and that really seems to be gaining some you know, additional traction in the last 12 months. Um, and then the manufacturers and the CE manufacturers who are you know, selling these products have a very complex, we'll put it this way, at the high end of their product ranges, they have a very complex product strategy. Um, so it's, it's a little difficult to say what's going to win out. Um, but I, I think that in terms of impact on the market in the premium segment outside of something like OLED, then mini-LED is, is really interesting. Um, you know, it, it's worthwhile talking about some of that complexity, uh, especially at the, at the high end. Um, and the high end, I, I always watch it because, of, to your point, you know, it may not be mainstream, but what happens is that some of those features become cheaper over time, and then they end up migrating into the the you know, peak of the bell curve uh, and uh, see a lot more mainstream adoption. So in the past, uh, we saw some of the biggest names in, in TV just taking some very different technological approaches for their flagship products. Um, you know, for one, Samsung has been focused on uh, LCDs with quantum dots, and, and you mentioned it, they've called that as QLED, uh, while LG has emphasized their white OLED TV but this year, um, something happened at, at CES. We saw that LG uh, introduced a quantum dot-based TV that they've uh, called as a QNED, QNET, I guess. Uh, and uh, that's now become available in the U.S. more recently. And uh, at least Samsung Display has publicly announced their intent to bring a, a quantum dot-based OLED TV panel to market, uh, in fact, this year. So. Do you think that the biggest players are getting closer in terms of technology? And, and what do you think this means for the industry? I, I think at the high end of the market, well, so first of all, you know, the display industry has been and continues to kind of shift, at least in the LCD uh, arena, to China, largely, right? A lot of the, the production is shifting to China. There is still some legacy manufacturing being done in Korea and in uh, Taiwan, et cetera. But you know, when it comes to the next generation of display technology, and, and I believe where a lot of the, the, the big global brands intend to try to go is into you know, new technologies that are a little bit more uh, defensible, if, if you might say, a little harder for other manufacturers to quickly follow on, um, which always results in some aggressive price erosion. Um, and, you know, I think with LG launching the, the QNED sets and then Samsung looking at QDOLA, there's a little bit of hedging of bets, I think, going on at the high end of the market um, with nobody really sure where the cost progression on these high-end technologies is going to wind up. Um, so better to kind of play in all the different little segments until it becomes quite clear, A, um, you know, the cost curve, the long-term production of these advanced display technologies is able to migrate down to price points that lead to wide adoption, or they lead to profitable niches that are able to grow and kind of fend off some of that competitive pressure. I think that's part of the reason why you're seeing this, you know, multi-angle approach from, from some of the big global TV brands. Um, and, and so let's talk about that. LG Electronics is, is one of the world's leading TV manufacturers, and, and uh, as we were just discussing, now they have both OLEDs and then QD-based uh, LCDs near the top of their line. So how 
are they going to manage having two very different flagship level products? And um, by the way, I guess we could explore the same question for Samsung, assuming they, they also bifurcate or have multiple technology uh, options at their flagship level. It's an excellent question, one that I don't have a good answer to in terms of the strategy. You know, it, it might be a little bit manageable with you know selective placement at retail. You know, certain types of channels have availability of, of one product versus another. Um, we, we certainly know that from a pricing strategy perspective, you know, where LG Electronics, as an example, is positioning the QNED sets versus their OLED lineup is, is very, very similar pricing and, and quite in line with what Samsung is doing with their Neo QLED sets. Um, so from a, a pricing strategy, it's, it's quite difficult to, to manage, I think. But I think that in the case of LG, they continue to emphasize uh, OLED as the top of the lineup, uh, QNED just below that. You know, especially for consumers who might have a slightly different um, need. You know, example would be uh, high brightness environment, right? You, you, you have a maximum amount of brightness you can achieve with OLED, but in the case of a, a high-end mini LED base set, you can get much brighter than that. So if you have a lot of ambient light, then maybe there's a certain type of premium consumer who has that consideration in mind. So I think that it will be challenging. Um, in the case of Samsung, we still don't have a great idea uh, you know where they're going to price QD OLED at you know we do expect that from a cost basis it is going to have a delta above you know traditional OLED so that would seem to imply that those sets will be priced you know above any of the other display technologies either from LG or, or from their existing neo uh, uh, QLED sets um, but I think the evidence so far this year, is that the mini LED based products, particularly in the case of Samsung, seem to be maybe engineered or at least positioned for more rapid you know, price decline if the sales performance isn't meeting expectations. And we are seeing that in the data already a little bit where um, in this ultra premium segment, OLED sales seem to maybe be pacing a little bit better and Samsung's reacting and making some adjustments on, on the pricing, I think, very soon. So it's complex. It's, it's not a succinct kind of this is best, this is better, this is good um, in that high-end segment. But I think we're trending in that direction. So, so you've mentioned uh, mini-LED backlights uh, a couple of times. And, and you also mentioned uh, Neo QLED. I, I guess that's Samsung's name for it. Um, they certainly offer advantages such as halo reduction, uh, as you'd mentioned, and, and better blacks because uh, they can more locally control the uh, deep grays, the dark grays. But still, they're pricey. Uh, so do you expect they're going to find their way into mainstream TVs uh, anytime in the next year or two? This is one of the areas that I'm, I'm especially curious from a long-term strategy perspective, where, where Samsung goes and kind of what some of their competitors are doing right now. Um, the reason I mention that is you look at the early QLED quantum dot sets that Samsung launched you know, four or five years ago, and how the entry-level part of that QLED lineup has progressed into that mainstream you know, pricing, it's taken about, you know, four or five years, but it, it has done so. And it accounts for the majority of the shipment volume now. Um, and at the same time, you're seeing Quantum Dot 
LCD sets branch out to other competitors, you know, TCL, Vizio, and, and others. Um, the same is true with Mini LED. And in fact, although Samsung this is just you know, newly launching these Mini LED sets in, in 2021, uh, other competitors like TCL and Vizio have already launched those in, in you know, previous years. Um, so it's already the case that this display technology has entered into those mainstream price points. Um, at the same time, though, there is some, <laughs> I would say there's some uh, friendly disagreement in the industry about exactly what qualifies as a quote-unquote mini-LED set. There is no standardization of this terminology. You know, is it the density? Is it the number of zones? Is it the size of the chip? Um, all of those are you know, criteria, but nobody can agree on what, what classifies a product as a mini LED set or not. And, and I worry a little bit about the industry because this is something that has in the past and other features um, actually caused them to fall from popularity. I, the, the example that I like to look at is frame rate, you know, high refresh rate LCDs. You know, years ago, we had 240 hertz refresh rate LCD TVs and 120 hertz sets. And what happened was that in the marketing of products, we started to see some creativity, we'll put it that way, creativity in terms of the terminology. So you saw 480 hertz or 960 hertz that were using things other than just the native refresh rate of the display to claim higher and higher speeds and feeds. And ultimately that led to consumers becoming confused in the devaluation of that feature. And today, you know, a much smaller percentage of sets are 120 hertz or higher refresh rate. That's increasing again because of, of things like gaming. Um, but I do worry that something like mini LED, because there isn't really a well agreed upon definition in the industry, kind of starts to head in that direction where any set with full array local dimming might be claimed to be mini LED um, by some TV brand or another. That's a risk for companies like Samsung who want to position it at the high end. Well, and, and to your point, I'm already seeing a range of performance levels uh, right. for things that are labeled mini LED. It's like, well, well, this one may have you know a huge number of actual LEDs, but uh, the number of zones uh, is less in one case over here versus another case. That's and right. That makes a, a huge difference uh, uh, in the performance level, and you can't just lump it into one category. Um, and that's that is um, potentially a real problem uh, in the messaging uh, for all the companies who are involved. Um, I, I guess I wonder if you think uh, maybe the real battle is between uh, LG Electronics uh, OLED TV on an ongoing basis and Samsung's and others, uh, mini LED, uh, QLED. Um, what, what do you think? I think in the premium market, that is the, the, the main battle is going to be between, you know, long term, the LCD market has always innovated and evolved and improved and always trying to kind of match some of those performance metrics that OLED has been able to you know, produce. And it's gotten better and better. It's always a moving target. And, and so, I, you know, when, when everybody says, you know, is, is OLED going to win in the premium segment? My, my response has always been LCD keeps getting better and better and cheaper. So is that really achievable? Um, I think in the current market, you know, for this year and maybe the next couple of years, 
then that high-end quantum dot-based mini-LED LCD TV is the primary competitor to OLED, and each offers its own you know, uh, uh, pros and cons. Um, I think that with, with LG, and in the case of OLED, now that their manufacturing capacity has expanded in the last year, and they may make that next investment to make much larger screen sizes more cost-effective, um, then it is still a viable competitor in that premium segment. And, and that's the important point, too, is that the, the premium market and what consumers expect in that premium market hasn't been static. Um, I think increasingly when you think of a premium TV, you also think of a very big TV, um, 75 inches, 85 inches, at least here in the U.S., and that's not something that's easy for OLED to compete against in terms of a cost basis because, you know, the current size of the factories that make those OLED displays is, is kind of optimized for 55, 65-inch screen sizes. And if the market is shifted to be centered, the premium market has been shifted to be centered on 75-inch or 85-inch class, um, then that naturally makes it advantageous for the LCD industry, which is already there in terms of efficient capacity. You know, I'm going to come back to the size uh, topic in a moment, um, uh, but I want to talk with you about supply chain, uh, at least a couple of topics on that. Um, one of the maybe unanticipated aspects of the pandemic was this heavy demand on LCD production, uh, and, and I think a lot of folks didn't see it coming. Uh, I certainly didn't. And in response, some of the uh, panel makers decided to keep producing LCDs longer than they had originally planned. They, they extended the life of plants that they had intended to mothball. Um, and I just wonder if you're seeing signs now that LCD production is finally beginning to catch up with demand. Yeah, we are seeing that. Um, you're right. You know, if you looked at the beginning of the year last year, you know, Samsung LG display had been expecting to, you know, shut down or convert some of their, their LCD factories in Korea. Um, but when the pandemic hit and that, you know, gloom turned to boom, then demand for lots of different products that use displays, desktop monitors, computers, um, TVs, accelerated so much that, you know, we've basically been in a shortage situation since about July, August of last year. Um, and that rise in price associated with that shortfall has been you know, in some cases, 100 to 150% of where it was a year ago um, has led to a lot of profitability for the display industry. And, you know, some of those mothballing plans got postponed. Um, but I think that at this point, mid-year in 2021, we are now coming back into that balance situation. Um, it's not, we don't see panel prices going up as aggressively as we did, say, earlier this year. Um, I do think that we will start to transition uh, away from a tight supply situation and a rising price situation um, over the next six months. So, Paul, what about the semiconductor shortage? Um, how is that affecting our industry? Yeah, it, it's definitely having an impact. Um, you know, in, in the display industry itself, it, you know, shortages of things like display driver ICs have been a persistent issue for a while. Um, in the case of the, the IT market, so, you know, notebook PCs and, and those areas, it, it has affected availability of GPUs, you know, to some degree CPUs, not, not quite as much, but, you know, uh, any power IC related uh, components, um, things like, uh, you know, the, the import, uh, input output um, controllers have, have been affected as well. I, I've heard, uh, you know, ASUS was talking about it in their last earnings call. So it is having an impact. 
We haven't seen it in the TV segment having a direct impact on things like SOC availability or, or memory. Um, but, you know, there, there probably are small spot shortages for some of the, you know, smaller volume type brands who don't have as much bargaining power in terms of allocation um, where, you know, there, there could be some spotty issues. But um, overall, it's not been as severe of an impact as it has in, say, the automotive industry. Um, or some other uh, other areas, the types of chips that are in shortage um, affect those industries more than they do the CE industry. But yeah, it, it is having some small impact. Um, it's interesting. I was listening to the Apple earnings call recently, and, and Tim Cook was saying it wasn't so much uh, the uh, more advanced nodes, uh, you know, that are producing the highest end chips, but it, as you mentioned, the, like the driver ICs, some of the older nodes. Uh, is, where some of the shortages have occurred. And of course, everything matters. Um, uh, so turning to uh, other display technology, um, I wonder how you feel about micro LED. And, and just for our viewers, I'll explain that with, with mini LED, what we're talking about is how the backlight operates. And, and uh, the backlight is generated through an array of uh, small but not tiny uh, LEDs that are illuminating the uh, passive LCD. But with micro LED, we're actually talking about the emitters themselves uh, that form the pixels, uh, where these are the things that are making the light uh, directly at a pixel level. And I'm, I guess I'm wondering uh, if you think that's going to become a mainstream technology anytime in the next five years. And, you know, what are the key things that need to happen in order to see broader commercial adoption of this technology? And, you know, the price needs to come down clearly, but what can enable that to happen? Yeah, micro LED as a conceptual display product for a consumer application is very interesting. You know, it, it, the form factor itself, typically they're made of small tiles that you can then stitch together into different aspect ratios or form factors it is really interesting. And, and the actual you know, the quality of the displays, the brightness, the color, the contrast, because each pixel is, is individually, you know, just like an OLED is individually emissive, um, offers, you know, huge picture quality uh, gains. Um, but the biggest issue is that these are displays that were originally created for commercial <laughs> applications, right? They're the, they're the high density, high brightness, you know, signs that you see in Las Vegas, um, you know, is where this uh, technology originates. The, they're just getting the chip smaller and smaller in the case of a micro LED. Um, you know, Samsung, uh, several years ago, launched a product called The Wall that was intended to be a, you know, uh, a transfer of this commercial display technology into a consumer application um, at very, very large screen sizes, like 150 inches. Um, but these were super expensive products. I mean, right. hundreds of thousands of dollars um, that needed very professional uh, high-end high installations in order to even be remotely acceptable to a consumer. Because you can imagine taking these tiles and trying to align them so well that you can't see the gap between them is, is, takes a lot of skill. Um, so it hasn't quite made that leap, and it's not just from a cost perspective. These things also generate a lot of heat. <laughs> so when you have these big displays, um, you know, making sure that you don't turn your, your room into an oven is an, is an issue in some cases. 
Um, but the big, the biggest issue is cost and, and the pixel density as well. You know, one thing that we've, you know, the, the display industry and the t TV market, for example, over the last five years has done is transition to 4K. And now we have 8K resolutions. And the, the pixel pitch of these micro LED displays is such that, you know, even at 100 inches, you can't get any higher resolution than 4K or, or 75 inches is 4K. And the expectation is if you're going to pay $50,000 for a TV, it better be 8K resolution, right? At the high end of the market. And that's not achievable yet with, with micro LED. Um, the, the biggest issue though is the manufacturing process and finding a way to make well, what, what's, you got two ways to make them. You can do what are called pick and place machines where you pick up individual LEDs and place them on a substrate, um, or you mass transfer them um, from a wafer. And both of those are nowhere near efficient enough with enough throughput to, to bring those costs down significantly. So that's where the cost needs cost savings needs to come. Do I think it's going to be something for the mass market in TVs or in the home in the next five years? Probably not. Okay. Um, you had mentioned size. And uh, one, as we talk about size profiles, one of your slides at the business conference showed this multi-year trend toward increased sizes. It's just this curve and it's, it's going up. Um, and uh, North America and China seem to be leading the way in adopting the largest sizes. So a question for you is, will the TV sizes finally level off? I mean, uh, you know, when we were in the 70s, it seemed so large and now we've got 85 and they just keep increasing. So uh, I'm wondering if you feel that there are practical limits to how large TVs are going to get. You know, I'd say that at every juncture where we thought we would start to kind of asymptotically approach a, a maximum in a given region, we've been wrong. Um, and, and I think the, the display industry as a whole kind of banks on the fact that, you know, everywhere people will keep on buying bigger TVs in, in perpetuity. Right, um, and it, and that may have some degree of truth to it, but you know, at at some sizes, and in particular in some cities and regions around the world, there's a physical limitation to how big of a display you can fit into a small living environment, or a physical limitation in how you get it in there. I don't think anybody's going to put an 85 inch TV in a London loft if it requires a crane like moving a piano <laughs> does. <laughs> um, so there are going to be some limitations like that around the world. But the biggest issue has always been a, a cost per inch benefit analysis that consumers make. Because I think from a buying priority standpoint, you know, that is one of the most important criteria is how much bang can I get from my buck? How big of a TV can I get from my dollar? And over the last three, four years, as prices, you know, essentially collapsed for really large screen sizes like 65-inch and 75-inch, then adoption increased. And so that dynamic, I think, remains in place. Countries like the U.S., you know, maybe China, some parts of Europe, um, absolutely will see really steady, continuous screen size growth. And actually, in our last forecast update, we did raise that that forecast because we do see some additional capacity coming online in the next three to four years that will make those large sizes even cheaper. Um, but 
in, in, in many places in the world, particularly in parts of Asia and Europe, then there, there is a bit of a maximum that you know, starts, to, starts to be reached. Whether we've reached that or not, it, probably not, but in the next five years or so, I think we will see a slowing down of that average screen size growth rate. Well, we'll, we'll keep watching that. Uh, it's just one of many uh, buying features and, and purchase considerations for the consumer. Um, I, I do note that you know, maybe this was driven by LCD shortage or, or something else, but TV pricing actually did trend upward uh, in the first half of uh, this year. And I'm wondering if you expect that this you know, recent inflationary trend is going to continue, you know, uh, where the industry might see further erosion in, in price performance, uh, and whether this increasing price trend for consumer TVs is going to continue. Yeah, uh, I mean, <laughs> for for much of the history of the TV market, prices have never really gone up. <laughs> it's it's one of those, uh, maybe to the to the chagrin of of the the people trying to sell them, uh, is one of those product areas where th where that has not been the case. Um, so this year, at the beginning of this year, and and, and starting very late last year, um, was really a a strange circumstance where uh, TV prices started going up, and you know, like I said, the 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 key input into the finished cost of a TV set is the display. And those had started rising in price in July, August of last year. And, and there's a certain amount of buffer that can be absorbed uh, for cost increases by the OEM, by the brand, by the retailer. And, and basically, they reached that limit at the end of the year last year. And so when the new products came across, uh, there was no choice. They, they had to start raising prices to cover their costs. Nobody's going to sell TVs at a loss for very long, right? Um, and and over the course of the June through about May timeframe, we did see prices trend up um, for 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 TV sets. I think we're now at that kind of upper limit, and we won't see further price increases. And when the new models for 2021 uh, were launched in in May, April, May, June timeframe then they were launched at a slightly higher price than had been originally planned to account for that extra cost and to give a runway for promotions for the rest of the year. And I think that's probably on the path that we're on right now. I'm, I'm wondering also uh, if part of what drove the increasing price trend was manufacturers said, oh, okay, we can't get enough components, therefore let's shift our mix to the higher value TVs uh, so that what we can produce uh, will generate more revenue on a per unit basis. Do you think that was some of it? I do think that was part of it. And, and they were encouraged to do that uh, because consumers were less price sensitive over the last year than typical. Um, you know, when you look at, in the grand scheme of things, you know, what people, you know, spend their money on, you know, they couldn't spend it on other I'm not going to call them luxury purchases, but higher higher ticket purchases over the last year, like vacations, like automobiles, like you know maybe new appliances. Those are very hard to get, um, and so they had a little extra money to spend. Not in every case, but in some cases, a little extra money to spend on a set, and they chose a better set. And so I think manufacturers were encouraged by that data. Um, at the same time, retailers knowing that they had a hot product category and that there were still some pending availability issues, didn't promote deep discounts on their products as much. 
And so because of that, consumers weren't you know, enticed off of, let's say, a mid-range model or a high-end model to go chase a, an exceptional price on a, on a, on a low-end model. Um, I think maybe temporarily, hopefully maybe permanently, um, retailers have gotten off the deep discount treadmill uh, for the time being. Um, Black Friday is a great example where typically the promotions are super discounted and people don't buy many regular TVs on either side of that promotion. Um, and that this time around, this last year, retailers weren't able to offer those discounts. There was no in-store shopping um, for these doorbuster deals per se. And so as a result, you know, actual retail dollars were up quite a bit in this last holiday cycle. Um, and probably profitability as well. So looking ahead to the rest of this year, I think retailers may take advantage of that trend and the fact that consumers are maybe a little bit less you know, willing to wait to purchase something for a deep discount. And so all of that tends to, like you said, move the mix up a little bit. I'm going to be really interested to watch uh, this year's holiday season. There's like multiple factors, shortages, uh, right. higher end mix, how much reopening are we going to have? Um, uh, it's going to be really interesting. It's probably one of the hardest seasons to predict for guys like you. Um, and, and, and I actually want to ask about it. Uh, do you have any projections on, on the reopening of businesses and then how that you know, return normalcy, if you want to call it that, is, is going to affect either the uh, IT display demands or the market for consumer displays? Yeah, initially this year, at the beginning of the year, we kind of ran in the assumption that the conditions were similar to what we had throughout, you know, especially the second half of last year, where, you know, there's lockdowns in some places or, you know, business restrictions in some places. And so people were still at home. We had some additional spending on stimulus from the government earlier this year. And so our, our projection was that Q1 and Q2 would be up, you know, quite a bit over normal. Um, our expectation now is because of this reopening of businesses, people now in mass going traveling, visiting family they haven't been able to see or going on those vacations that were delayed. Um, and the fact that people are going back to businesses, you know, working in offices or working physically um, where they had been working remotely means that demand for entertainment-based products is probably settling back down into not a below normal cadence, but an at normal uh, cadence. And that's our expectation for TVs, for example, for the fourth quarter holiday season this year is that, you know, sales will approach kind of more 2019 type levels rather than the, the accelerated 2020 levels. And then, you know, maybe the next few years after will be down a little bit. Um, in IT related categories like notebook PCs, uh, desktop monitors, Demand has remained pretty strong. We know that as businesses have had workers at home for a while now, some of them may choose to remain home. Um, you'll have much more of this flexible hybrid uh, uh, structure, and you, we could see businesses investing in some additional IT for that kind of flexible support. Um, and the fact that the component shortages did mean that a lot of demand from the first half of this year, or latter part of last year, is still being fulfilled. Um, so probably for the next six months or so, demand will still be positive for, for IT categories. Um, at the same time, this accelerated demand for a couple of years means that we have pulled in some of those replacement purchases that might be happening in the next two or three years. And so probably there'll be a bit of a decline or softness after that.
Um, with a return to normalcy, if you will, would you like to say anything about digital signage trends? Are people getting out more? Is, is it gonna, uh, are we going to see a pickup in that category? Yeah, throughout 2020, uh, spending for you know digital signage, corporate boardrooms, um, LED video signage, information displays all dipped. Um, businesses were trying to conserve cash as much as possible, and you know because people weren't moving out and about, there was less need for that investment. Um, you know, digital outdoor advertising was down, all those sorts of things. So we did see a dip in 2020, but we have seen a bounce back. Um, so far this year through the first half of the year. And we do think that that will continue as people are out and about more. Um, they, 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 there's more advertising eyeballs uh, available for digital outdoor advertising. And so there will be some equipment and spending investment. Um, and the fact that people are going back to corporate boardrooms means that you know, IT departments at businesses are looking to upgrade their gear, especially because we have this hybrid working environment where that video conferencing um, aspect is much more critical. So there needs to be some equipment upgrading going on in, in corporate locations. So all of that will lead to a, a pretty strong bounce back, particularly second half of this year and heading into 2022. Yeah, you know, I'm literally sitting in a conference room right now that just went through exactly what you described, where they yeah. upgraded the uh, projection display that they had with, um, you know, more of a digital signage type display right here in this room. So yep. I, there, there's a one real-time anecdote that, that packs up what you're saying. Um, you well, going back to consumer, I would like to get a final view from you on, on what are the most important consumer buying criteria for TVs? You know, is it all about price or do features matter? Price is important. But I think maybe a little bit less so than it had been over the past couple of years. Um, I think that consumers in general, when they are making purchases right now, are you know, less inclined to treat those purchases as kind of disposable purchases, if you will. So investing a little bit more in quality, maybe from a brand that you trust or you're familiar with, uh, is more important than it was when you're just trying to buy the biggest TV for the cheapest price that you could previous to this year, uh, this last two years. Um, features like smart TV are absolutely critical. And with the explosion of streaming video services over the last two years, um, it's more important now than ever to have a you know TV either with a built-in smart TV capability or with an external component, but people do prefer to buy um, the smart functionality built into their TVs, to have a platform that is updated and will remain updated. So, you know, we look at, for example, how long do smart TV platforms, you know, exist before they kind of fall out of, you know, uh, being updated. They they're, they're either don't have the hardware to keep pace with modern video streaming services um, or the app developers stopped updating the apps for those older sets. Um, so th that's one of the key reasons people go out and buy new TVs these days is to get the latest and greatest you know, smart TV platform. So that's a really important feature. Um, and then beyond that, things like the display technology, you know, I, I'm, I'm not so sure that the retailers and the, and the manufacturers have done a, an excellent job of educating consumers about what those different technologies mean or what, they can, what benefits they convey. 
Um, so I think it is a matter of people going into stores and still doing that eyeball check, the kick the tires, if you will, um, before they purchase a TV. And that's not something that they've been able to do for the last year uh, in, in large part. So I think we'll see a return to some of that. But you look at, at how retailers are investing in the you know, sales platform of the future, um, they're, they're embracing the transition to online sales. And that's a, that's a platform that's more challenging for consumers to kind of understand what each of these different features mean. So it's going to take some, some significant effort on the part of retailers and brands who you know, sell those products at those retailers uh, to upgrade those education platforms online to convince consumers to buy those other features. So one of the things that you just mentioned then is, is uh, as an important feature is connectivity and field upgradability. Um, so looking not only for TVs, but for all displays, what do you think are the most important trends? Certainly in the case of mobile devices, it's all about productivity and mobile productivity. Uh, you know, looking at, at things like laptops and and uh, in particular, things like having very long battery life, um, being able to have very efficient, uh, you know, when Mac, yeah, I'm working on a MacBook Pro that has that new M1 chip that Apple launched, and the, the battery life is spectacularly good. And I don't give up any performance to get that. Um, that, I think, is what consumers will come to expect in the future is, you know, longer battery life from their phones, from their smartwatches, from their PCs, from their tablets, but without giving up performance to get that. Um, I think that is one of the big trends in the industry. So investments in things like battery life, uh, battery technology, um, more efficient uh, processing, um, better processors that can handle uh, multi-threaded applications. You know, those are all very, very key trends for lots of mobile uh, connectivity products. In general, people don't, people don't, I think, pay as much attention to the specs as they used to, they just expect good performance. And as long as you can deliver that at an affordable price point with things like good battery life and connectivity, that's a win, uh, I think, for most CD makers. Well, as always, there's a lot of moving parts uh, to this industry. And uh, some of it's the display technology. Some of it is related to the things that are placed around the display technology to form a complete product. And there's a lot to keep track of. And so my final question for you is, what is the best way or how should our viewers keep abreast of the latest trends uh, in the display industry? Well, you can go to Omnia, that's for sure, <laughs> omnia.com. Um, you can see a lot of our research that's available. We publish some stuff free. Uh, if you look, there's an Omnia blog on the website that we publish uh, insights to regularly. Um, I'd say check out the Omdia analysts on uh, platforms like LinkedIn or Twitter, often sharing their insights and opinions and views um, that they're finding in their latest research. So that's a really good channel. I uh, definitely recommend going and following, uh, following Omdia analysts on, on LinkedIn. Um, and platforms like this. It's great to be on your show, Brian. Well, Paul, it's been a real pleasure having you here on, on the display show. And, and, you know, I'd like to thank you for joining us and, I actually look forward to seeing you face to face before too long, and, and hopefully that at least happens by wait. Display Week 2022. <laughs> it's been far too long, Dad. To we'll see what CES uh, this year is able to deliver. Yeah, I, I, let's stay hopeful. And you know, once again, thanks, Paul, and uh, cheers, and we'll see you again soon. Sounds great, Brian. Good to participate. Thanks. Bye bye. Take care.